Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. Summer is uh, fading away, but our reading game isn't, and hopefully yours isn't either. A lot of stuff to talk about this week. Yeah, I'm ending up my summer um, on a really high note. Lots of good books over these past two weeks that I have really liked. The first one is Everyone is Beautiful by Catherine Center. I love Catherine Center's writing. Um, I discovered her a couple years ago through Book of the Month Club with her book, How to Walk Away. And then I've read just a ton of her stuff since then. I think my very favorite is probably um, the one that whose name escapes me now about hiking. Um, they're all romance stories. Again, not really light stories, but the characters are fabulous and um, the storylines are always really interesting. This one, Everyone is Beautiful, is one of her earlier ones. It's just been reprinted, and it is about a mom who has moved with her three boys, all under the age of five, halfway across the country, away from her family, um, with her husband, who's just gotten an amazing career opportunity, but now she's all by herself, no friends. She's submerged herself completely in her family, for the past years with her kids, and now all of a sudden in this new place, she wants something for herself. So it's a typical, it, it's not an unusual plot in really? that. Lots of people write about that, but the way she does it is really cool um, and um, was really, really fun to read. I really, really liked this character. Um, Happiness for Beginners. You're looking up for me, Catherine Center. Happiness mm-hmm. for Beginners is the name of the book that was my favorite of hers. You can't go wrong with any of her books. Um, While I was reading Everyone is Beautiful, I also read Voracious, A Hungry Reader Cooks Her Way Through Great Books by Cara Nicoletti. I always like to have a fiction and a nonfiction going at the same time. And this one I saw a long, long time ago, but for whatever reason, didn't pick up until recently. This is where Cara Nicoletti looks at books she read as a child, as an adolescent, and as an adult. She writes short essays about each one of them, focusing on the aspects of these books that dealt with really good food. And then she includes recipes with each one. A really cool idea. I mean, my internal book editor listens to ideas to be like, would would I want to to acquire this? And and you told me what this one was about. And I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Oh, it's amazing. And I had read um, a good chunk of the books at any stage or heard of the ones that I hadn't read. And so when I'd read them, I was going back in my head and thinking about how um, I remembered those same scenes or didn't remember them. And it kind of changed the way that I was reading in regard to what are people saying about food. Again, Mm -hmm. the other books that I was reading right then. Um, I actually wrote a blog post where um, I imitated her essay with Everyone is Beautiful, which is the fiction book I was reading at the time. I wrote a little essay and then did a food like aspect with it because it was just it was such a fun idea, especially the books that she read when she was a little kid. You know, Anne of Green Gables, um, Little House on the Prairie. They're just all kinds of things that really have fabulous food stories in them. Karen Nicoletti is a professional butcher. So, like, when she would talk about making your own sausage, I'm out. I'm not going to begin to try that stuff. No. And lots of her recipes seemed really long and involved. But you know what? It's summer, and that's the time to try some long and involved recipes. So, it's really good. Um, The next book that I read has been on my list for a while because it's one of our daughter Natalie's favorite books. It's The School for Good and Evil. And actually... um, one of our listeners, his wife, recommended this for her. Yeah, Carrie. Apparently, Carrie yeah. Carrie listens uh, maybe more regularly than her husband at this point. So just, well, just yeah, give Carrie the credit. We told her the <laughs> kinds of things that Natalie was interested in and that she was stuck. And this was one of the series that she recommended. And 
Natalie has just swallowed it whole. And so finally she brought out the first book and just lay it ceremoniously on the coffee table. So I picked it up and read it too. Mm -hmm. This, it perfectly fits everything that our daughter's interested in right now. She um, is a middle grade reader on the cusp of young adult and she loves fantasy. And this whole series is about a school that trains villains on one side and then the heroes on the other for fairy tales. And the idea is that all of the fairy tales that have ever been written have come out of this school where they were trained either for good or for evil, depending Can on Can you the transition? I mean, are, is, it, is it like Harry Potter's sorting hat? You're on this side or that side? All right, I've read one book. Natalie can answer those questions yeah. better than I could. She has also gotten... Um, one of those little composite books that they make for a series too. Like this, mm-hmm. the composite book that she keeps reading is one where you can take a quiz about how good you are and how evil you are. And it talks about different aspects of the series. She won't let me look at that one yet because it has spoilers in it. And oh. I've got to read the rest of the series <laughs> first. But I love reading books with our kids. And I love, love, love when they find a book that is so good that they are like, here, you've got to read this too. Yeah, I'm, It's just one of the things that makes me happiest. I love it. I read The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. This is a reread that I've been working on all summer long in conjunction with a writer's group that I've been working with. We were reading that one together um, and discussing it every week. It's a book for writers and creatives of any kind, um, particularly people who think that they might be stuck. Just ways to um, get yourself going again, rejuvenate your creativity, and then be more productive. It's an excellent book for any kind of creator, not just writers. Um, The fiction, the novel that I read after that is called The Bad Muslim Discount. I don't know how to say this name. I should have looked it up. Sayed Masad? Okay, we're going to go with that. That sounds good. Thank you. Um, I heard about this book a while ago. It's not a new book, but I got it for my birthday from Book of the Month Club. Part of their little BFF thing now, and they let me pick a free book. My birthday month, so I got this one. I loved it. Loved it. It follows two immigrant families, um, both from the Middle East. They come to America in very, very different ways. And then how their lives link up in America. It looks at the immigrant story. It looks at the path America has taken. It looks at the path the Middle East has taken. It looks at um, Islam in a way that just felt very, very beautiful. Um It looked at it with a lot of mercy and grace. It made me think of all the ways that Christianity as a, not as a faith, not as a religion, but as a culture has changed. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And it reminded me of the dangers of radicalism in any kind of faith or religion. So highly recommend this book. It sounds like I may be uh, reading this myself. Oh, I'm pulling for it. We might get a little more discussion on (laughs) it. We may be coming back to this one in a month or so. We'll see. Um, Two more books for me. I read The Comfort Book by Matt Haig. He wrote The Midnight Library, which I talked about a while ago here on this podcast. This one is different, though. In it, um, Matt Haig addresses his own struggles with depression, um, with suicidal tendencies. And then he wrote this book, I think, as a way to just help anybody who is coping with mental health issues. So it's called The Comfort Book. And he said in the beginning that lots of times when he is feeling down, he just writes some things for himself to help him move past it. And he put those in this book. So some of the things that he wrote are a paragraph. Some are two or three pages. Some are as little as one line. Um, 
It's not meant really to be a fast read though. I read it over the course of two weeks, just reading a few things every day. I tried to keep reading it consistently because you really kind of want to think about what he's saying and let it sink in. Mm -hmm. um, some of them didn't apply as much. You know, you can just kind of skim over, but I really do think that there's something in this book for everybody to help you remember who you are, why you're here, and that you matter. Last book, one of my all-time favorites, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows by J.K. Rowling. At the start of the summer, I asked our son if he wanted to read anything together this summer because he just reads with you all the time, but he doesn't read much with me anymore. And I guess in a moment of weakness, he suggested this one, um, which is one of the longer Harry Potter books. And he lost patience for it about halfway through, but then yeah. I was hooked and I didn't want I'll, to stop I'll reading. I'll probably get him back after this one. <laughs> um, but he, uh, he pulled back in again as we got closer to the end and then he was fully hooked. We just finished watching. After we finished the book, we started that two-part movie of the mm -hmm. last book, the told to, and we finished that this afternoon too. So I think it was worth it in the end. I always forget exactly how much I love that book. It may be my favorite of the Harry Potters. Well, and there's a wonderful completing the circle here in that we went to see the first of the two parts of that last movie on the <laughs> night that you told me that he was going to be. So He, he needs to always love this book. He's connected to it in more <laughs> ways than he knew. So Okay, that took me a long time. It was a lot of books. What have you been reading? Well, I haven't read as many, and uh, I did manage to get a couple of the ones that, that he and I read in here. Um, one that I have wanted to talk about, a book called A Well-Paid Slave, Kirk Flood's Five for Free Agency and Professional Sports uh, by Brad Snyder. Um, Kurt Flood is the man who brought free agency to professional sports. He didn't do it by winning. He did it by losing a legal battle that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Flood was an all-star level baseball player uh, who was traded from the St. Louis Cardinals, where he had played for over 10 years, to the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, and rather than become a Philly, he said, I'm not a piece of property. I deserve some say and where I can ply my trade, as everybody else in the world has. I mean, you teach school, you don't like your school, you go to another school. The school can't trade you to another school in, you know, Alaska, uh, thankfully. <laughs> Not that they would, but uh, it was an incredibly well-written biography. Flood is dead, uh, so Snyder, you know, had to kind of learn about him secondhand. He was exhaustive in his research. The legal parts were very interesting. Snyder himself is an attorney and, and talks about how he gave up the practice of law to write this book and everybody thought he was crazy. So <laughs> uh, I can certainly understand that aspect of it. Well, and this book, I, the topic feels a little sensitive since we have, as Cubs fans, spent the week watching our Beloved team, get mutilated. Yeah, maybe, maybe if Kurt Flood had just settled with the, the Phillies, we'd <laughs> still have uh, Chris Bryant and, and uh, Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez. Uh, there's no doubt uh, what, what Flood did changed the, the world that athletes live in and the, uh, the money aspects of the game. Uh, you know, that genie's out of the bottle, and for good oh, or for yeah. bad, it'll never go back. Um, I, I think Flood should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, that hasn't happened. I think it should. As a player, he probably was on his way to a Hall of Fame career, but he sacrificed the end of it uh, for this legal battle that he ultimately lost. He didn't see the money, um, but generations of ball players after him have. Owe him a debt. It, it, Snyder ties him with Jackie Robinson, and, and I think that's very profound and very true. Robinson 
open the door for everybody to play and flood open the door for everybody to play where they darn well pleased. Right. And, you know, that's that's not a small thing. No, it's not. Uh, so, wonderful book. Well written by Brad Snyder. Highly recommend it. That's not a new one or anything. I just picked it up and had always wanted to read it and read it. Uh, a little lighter, Food Americana, The Remarkable People and Incredible Stories Behind America's Favorite Dishes by David Page. I want to read this book. Diners, Dives, and Drive-Ins, David Page. He's the guy who created that. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so fun book, pretty light. He goes uh, subject by subject. The first chapter, I remember, was on pizza. Uh, I was very impressed by a couple things. One, he talks about fried chicken, which means he has to make a, a sub-tour there into Nashville hot chicken, which he did and did very well. Which is your favorite food. It is. It is. <laughs> the other thing that impressed me is he talked about barbecue. And I was Which a is little, your second favorite thing. I was a little skeptical. We get a little way in, and he says, here are some of the different varieties of barbecue. Kansas City and Texas and North Carolina. And I'm going, great. Here's another thing that's going to pretend that there is no Kentucky barbecue. And lo and behold, he talks about Kentucky barbecue. Now, one small peccadillo I do have here. He says, Western Kentucky barbecue, which is mutton, which is correct. Fair enough. That, that is unique. Uh, it is a Western Kentucky thing. You won't find it anywhere else. I've learned to love it. That's a kind of an Owensboro area thing. But the mistake was then he said thin sliced pork shoulder. He calls it Eastern Kentucky barbecue. There ain't a thing Eastern Kentucky <laughs> about this. Tompkinsville is the cultural center of this pork shoulder. It's wonderful. Love it. RNS Barbecue, Tompkinsville, Kentucky. One of my top 10 restaurants ever, but that is not Eastern Kentucky. That is maybe South Central Kentucky. It's probably less Western Kentucky would be the most accurate way to put it. Well, but, he did not realize that somebody who has literally gone all over this state and tasted all the barbecue so there is. Also a plug for my book. friend Wes Berry's Kentucky Barbecue book, which is the definitive <laughs> last word on all of this. Uh, and... and uh, I could go on about it for hours, but he did manage to get it in there. So obviously uh, he's done his homework, a fun book, kind of how America changed things. I, I, the pizza chapter was particularly interesting. And it just sounds like something that I would want to read, but you listened to it. And I, I did. Need, I need to get a print I, copy. I listened to it. it. It probably meant I drooled on the pages less <laughs> since I couldn't see them. But uh, No, good, good book. Uh, enjoyed it. Light reading. Fun. But is, is that a bad thing? No. No, not at all. Uh, Cannery Row by John Steinbeck. Love Steinbeck. Hadn't done any of his stuff in a while and listened uh, to Cannery Row. Grapes of Wrath is a first ballot Joe Cox book hall of famer. Um, and Cannery Row really made me think of one of my law partners who kind of fell in love with Steinbeck's stuff. He was dating a girl who was from California, and he went out there and went to see a lot of the, the Steinbeck stuff. And listening to Cannery Row made me think of a very different California than what, apparently, I don't know, haven't been there, exists today. Uh, it has really all the high points of, of Steinbeck's style, his ability to create these fascinating little vignettes of, of human life and to talk about the geography and, and the, the land out in, in California where he came up. Uh, it, it's much quicker than Grapes of Wrath, uh, but... His, his same style is, is stamped all over it. Really enjoyed it. Just kind of went along with the uh, food Americana. And it was, it was pretty light. It was pretty snappy and, and moved along uh, and enjoyed it. He's a good one. And then I think I had a couple 
that I did with our son. Uh, one was Legends, the best players, games, and teams in baseball by Howard Bryant. Uh, he got one of Howard's books on basketball and really loved it. I think it's also called Legends. I think that's the premise. I think he did a, a football, a baseball, and a basketball. So he has the basketball one, and we had read that. Uh, we read the, the baseball one on an e-reader. Uh, you know, good good overview. Howard's a very good writer. I, I've got to read his Hank Aaron biography. That's, that's one that's on my list I've got to track down at some point. Uh, the other one was a little different. We read Hatchet by Gary Paulson, which is, of course, classic YA novel, one that I read, I don't know, probably his age. Maybe I was a little older. The, the hero in the book, Brian Robeson, uh, is flying on a two-seater plane. He's gone from his mother's to his father's. His parents are splitting up, and he's traveling to see his dad. The pilot of the plane has a heart attack, and the plane crashes. And Brian is stuck in the Canadian wilderness alone with no communication with anything. And that's really what the book is about. It's a survival story. Uh, and our son, I think, really enjoyed it. I think it worked on the same level for him that it did for me. And then I remember reading it and being vaguely horrified and thinking, what on earth would you do? <laughs> uh, you know, Brian. Brian's very capable and figures out a lot of things despite having very little uh, to go on. But I can't deny when I read the book, I remember... For a while there, anytime I went anywhere with one of my parents, there's an element of like, okay, if the car crashes into the side of a mountain, I'll take my jacket and fashion it into a tarp. And, you know, it, it just, it, it does make you think, you know, how, how. I think if I'd read this book when I, it's really it, more of a middle grade book, right? It's yeah, like, it probably is. But if I'd read it when I was that age, I would have had so much anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I could yeah. handle it. Actually, I don't think I ever did read this book. I've read some other things by him. I remember um, A Soldier's Heart being a really big one. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a good book, but I I never read this one. Well, it's very concise. It's very quick moving. Um, If you don't want a spoiler, turn it down for 10 seconds, but uh, I'll give you this much. No, don't tell spoilers. Well, okay, fine. (laughs) I won't. I was going to give you a spoiler. Never mind. No, you can't do that. Turn it back up. Rewind it if you want. There wasn't a spoiler. Never mind. I won't tell you. But he did really, he did like that book. He told me that he did. So. Yeah, we, we got through that one pretty quick. We'll we'll see what comes next. Oh, he's already know. told me. I, we've got another book lined up, so. Oh, I see how it is. <laughs> By the way, some of us, notably me, have noted that many of these YA books are shorter, so they kind of pad one's statistics. I'm kind of. I just got done with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. That was not a short book. No, that was your fault. Not that mine. was a worthwhile book, though. You're just you're just p- trying to pad your own. Speaking tab. of worthwhile books and fairly short ones at that, <laughs> and ways to end an week. argument. Uh, we got to we got to uh, give credit to to Andy for this one. He was the one who suggested it. We hunted it down, read it, and uh, pretty much laughed all the way through. Oh, it was great. It's called Stuff Christians Like um, by Jonathan Acuff. I like that he was Jonathan then. He's John now. Somewhere along the way, he lost his thing. But uh, okay, anyway. so give some background for this book. Uh, Steph Christians like came out of his website. It was a thing that he had created, and and it apparently got popular enough that he could write the book. And so the book is kind of a series of punchy little essays. Um, I mean, Acuff is a Christian, but at the same time, Acuff is a guy who had made his first foray into public, kind of gently poking fun at the goofy things that Christians uh, do and endorse and follow. And, and that was his path into this book. And that's where this book comes from. 
Um, so a challenging book. It's kind of more, more of a, it, it pokes fun at evangelical culture more than it does like yes. the faith itself. Yes, so. and that was the, the, what I was going to say. The, the challenge here uh, for a guy like Acuff is to laugh at the goofy things that are perpetrated in the name of Christianity and not at Christianity, which is, is where he's coming from. And he's actually funny in this. I mean, this was just a really, really funny book. I struggle sometimes with um, people who style themselves as Christian comedians because they usually take it too far. and Or not far enough, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It falls flat for me. But I thought this was funny from beginning to end. Absolutely. Well, and that's funny because one of the first essays in here, he points out that Christians are not noted for being funny. <laughs> Uh, and then proceeds to be funny. But, uh, you know, one of the things that this immediately called to mind is the way that, that Christian gets thrown on to anything. It does. Uh, any kind of art, you know, Christian music and Christian movies. Christian and, novels. Yeah. It, you know, obviously, I think over the long haul, the, the, the trend here is make your art. Uh, the, the, the best Christian art is art which just happens to be Christian, not art which is constructed for the de facto purpose of winning Christian endorsement. Uh, and and th this would very much fall into that category. Reminds me of what Madeline Langle said in her book Walking on Water that I think I talked about recently anyway, when she said that um, people want to throw, when they want to say something is Christian art, like maybe she doesn't even want to read it because it, the question is, is it good art or is it right, bad art? Right. And if it's if it's bad art, then throwing the Christian thing on there doesn't help it. Yeah. And that seems to be like he picks out the things about Christian culture that it's like, why why is that even here? Why do we call that Christian? Yeah. So so we actually, uh, you read it, I read it, and the other day, uh, our daughter, we had gone. Oh no, we'd gone to get her a, a shot. She had to have one of her school vaccines. And uh, I'd brought some books in case we were bored and, you know, we were getting ready to go in. And I said, well, here, you might like this. You feel free to flip through it. And then, you know, when we got home, she's like, hey, can I, can I look at that some more? <laughs> so she didn't read the whole thing, but she flipped through it. And uh, we, we were talking earlier about things in there that resonated. And she said yeah. for her what stood out was the um, ubiquitous goldfish in Sunday school. Yeah, goldfish crackers. If you don't have a, a, a child now, you may not even know what they are. But if you have a child who goes to church, they've been fed 14 million of these. Yes, and anytime they fuss, they're handed a whole new handful. <laughs> like our kids would come back with their whole face is gold. I mean, honestly, it's kind of like the way I deal with our cat. We, we've gotten a cat, and, and it's not goldfish fish it's like cat food but that's pretty much the same pension if there's problems i'm like here, here here's you know take this it'll be better but uh she had that for me it was the part on prayer and the abuse of the word just and that i was about 40 pages in and when he got into that i'm like this guy just flat got it uh because it's long been uh, a, a burden for me that, that kind, well-meaning, otherwise articulate people, when they shut their eyes and, and begin to pray, somehow get the word just in about every third or maybe fourth word until I'm thinking, I'm not God, you're not praying to me, but if I was, I'm not sure I could sort it out in between every third word just. But anyway, anyway. For me, one of the things that stood out was um, Hell House. Do you remember those? At it all? was big around here, especially. I think. Yeah, that was the idea that 
you didn't you didn't necessarily go to haunted houses. Because Halloween at, is dangerous. But at <laughs> Halloween, churches would put on what they called Judgment House or Hell House, depending on, and you would like you would go through a day in the life of someone who died tragically somehow. Like there would be these two people and one of them would go to heaven and the other would go to hell and you followed both of them. I think I only ever went to one because my mother did not approve of this nonsense. <laughs> one more than I went to, but yeah. My mother did not buy into this nonsense whatsoever. But I had a friend who asked me over and we went to one once. <laughs> I remember just being pretty horrified. Um but I think that was the point of it, um, which is another thing he talks about in here, the idea of using fear to try to convert people. But yeah, that, that stood out to me partly because of my one lone experience with it, but mostly because I felt I was on the outside of that one. Thank goodness for my mom. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it comes from our time frame. I never could find out exactly how old he is, but he's, he's got to be around our age because a lot of these cultural things. Uh, yeah, if you grew up um, in or peripheral to evangelical culture in the 80s or the 90s, you will know these trends he's talking about. Yeah, yeah very much. Uh, and again, uh, a fun book, a light book. He does a good job, though, of both mixing in some actual legitimate uh, uh, you know, philosophical content here in, in amongst the the jabs, uh, the book has a really beautiful ending and ultimately a positive message. But at the same time, you're going to have a fun time getting there. And, and again, it's, it's, not, it's not that Christianity is funny. There's nothing funny about it. There's just a lot of funny things that people have done in its name over the years. So. And I mean, I laughed. I laughed all the way through it. But at the end of it, I kind of was just left with the question of, you know, what is really important here and how can we better in our churches, in our church culture, mm -hmm. get back to what, what are the important things? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is, is where he was coming from. And it's funny because, you know, he had this silly website and then he wrote this funny book, but he's gone, uh, you know, much more mainstream and serious. You talked about one of his other books, uh, Soundtracks. a few episodes ago. Uh, and, and I'd forgotten about that, but remembered you talking about it. And once I made that connection, some of what he's talking about in there, you can dig out of this book. It's already there. Uh, so it's cool to see uh, him develop and grow as, as a writer and, and a guy who has something to say. Um, thank you all for joining us this time and listening to what we had to say about books. We want to know what you're thinking. Our um, shared book this week obviously came from a listener. So if you have anything that you think that we would like, please let us know can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. Um, get in touch with us on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on Twitter at pbackreaderspod. And next time up, assuming that I managed to uh, get through it, I had to go, if you heard my chair push back, <laughs> it's because I had to get the book to see the title of it. But I'm holding in my hand. I've read about 20% of it and really impressed. Michael Lewis's new book, The Premonition, A Pandemic Story, uh, cut a little close for me for a while, but I think I've gotten to the point where I'm ready uh, to read what Lewis has to say. The first. Yeah, I'm going to say, I don't think I am, but I'm going to read it well, anyway. <laughs> I, I was, I was typically impressed. I, I, I love this. I will share it. The, the blurb on the back of the book says, and I quote from John Williams of the New York times book review. 
I would read an 800-page history of the stapler if he wrote it. Oh, yeah. It's Michael Lewis. It's going to be a fabulous book. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the plan for next time around. The Premonition, Michael Lewis. Uh, feel if, free to grab it if you like. Yeah, pick it up and read with us. If you have already read it, have thoughts about it, please let us know. Thanks so much. Take care. And for goodness sake, keep reading. Keep reading.